That is our uh, series that we're in right now, Warn. Uh, my name is John Rock. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. And uh, if you don't know me very well, then you might not know that I'm a planner. And I like to plan things out. And uh, one of the things I get to do in my job here is to make a lot of plans and, and help plan out a lot of our calendars for our, our different ministries that I help to oversee. And my wife will tell you that I'm that way, that I'm a planner. If I, I get an idea in my mind, I will spend so much time figuring out the best way to do it for a really long time. My family will tell you that too. Um, we often go on these extended family vacations. My, I have my parents and I have two brothers that live in Pennsylvania. I have a sister and her family that live in Florida. And so we don't get to see each other a ton. And so Sometimes we'll do these extended vacations all together. We'll get together somewhere. And here's what we do on the very first day. I get everybody into the room together. And I get out a whiteboard and an easel. This is no joke. And I get out a whiteboard and an easel and I say, and, and, and they'll laugh and they'll, they'll say, they call it the annual Rock family meeting. And I'll say, is there any old business? Anything we need to talk about? Is there any new business? Anything you want to talk about? And I'll say, what are the things you guys want to do on this trip? And, and I'll just write them all down on the list. And then I'll say, okay, let's figure out a plan so we can try to accomplish all the things that everyone wants to do on this trip. And they make fun of me. That's okay. I know inwardly they love that about me. I know that. <laughs> but I'm a planner. That's just who I am. So it shouldn't surprise you that I, that I kind of, I'm intrigued when I come across things like I try to have a plan for a lot of situations that I might ever face in my life. And so I was reading a book not too long ago, and I, was, I thought this was really cool. I read this. This was a plan for how to survive an anaconda attack. Now, this is really good stuff. See, I didn't grow up here, okay? I'm from a big city. I'm from Philadelphia. I'm from a big city. So I didn't grow up with 4-H, where you learn things like how to survive an anaconda attack. I think that's a club, right, that you guys have? But, you know, I've lived here for 10 years, and so I'm thinking, man, I haven't seen one yet, so I'm sure that, you know, my odds are getting greater that I'm probably going to come across them in my yard someday, so I better get ready. And so, I, and so I read this, and I thought I'd share it with you this morning. It's really interesting. Uh, apparently, anaconda snakes can grow up to 35 feet long, and they can swallow a 400-pound animal whole. These are the steps that you should take to survive if you ever get in this situation. If you are attacked by an anaconda, don't run. The snake is faster than you are. Lie flat on the ground. Put your arms tight against your sides and your legs tight against one another. And make sure you tuck in your chin. Do not panic. But the snake will begin to nudge and climb over your body. After the snake has examined you, it will begin to swallow you from the feet in. Always from the feet in. Permit the snake to swallow your feet and ankles. Do not panic. <laughs> the snake will now begin to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. This will take a long time. <laughs> when the snake has reached your knees, slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down to get your knife and very gently slide it into the snake's mouth between the edge of its mouth and your leg. Then suddenly, rip upwards, severing its head. 
might be the most ridiculous thing I have ever read. If I am being swallowed to my knees by an anaconda snake, I think I'm going to be a little nervous. But if you should ever come across one here in northern Indiana, now you have a plan. You're welcome for that. You're welcome for that. As we continue our WARN series, our goal was not to get you ready for surviving large reptiles, but our goal is to help you get ready to survive life because life wears you down. And specifically today, we want you to, we want to help you survive encounters that you will have with another kind of snake. The Bible describes him throughout its pages and gives him the name Satan, the devil. And he is the enemy of God and of every follower of God. And he has demons, the Bible describes, that are all around us, tempting us to fail and to fall, and to wear us down. Sometimes our battle with sin and temptation just wears us down to our worst. And it seems like there is no way out. Have you ever felt that way? Where you just wonder, like, am I ever going to grow beyond where I'm at right now? Am I ever really going to to change? Sometimes our battle with temptation and with sin can wear us down. And that is when we are tempted to panic. Because we believe we are being swallowed by that sin or by that temptation or by that battle that we regularly and constantly face as in front of us. And we forget to live out the truth of that old saying that warns us that says sin will always take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. I'm sure that all of us can relate to the feelings of struggle with sin. For the person who's a brand new Christian here today, maybe you just accepted Christ even this week at Judgment House. We're glad you're here. Or maybe in the last year sometime you've accepted Christ and you've made him your leader. Or maybe you've been a a Christian for a long time, but for the person who's a brand new Christian, sometimes you can get trapped comparing yourselves to others. And maybe you look around our church or other people that you know that are Christians and you say, man, I'm never going to be like they are. I'm never going to be as godly as they are. I, I have so much mess in my life that I'm never going to measure up to, to what it takes to be a really good Christian. And that wears you down. You, you look at where you're at and you feel like you'll never measure up and you get worn down. You think everyone has it all together. But you know what? They don't. They don't have it all together. 
for the person that's sitting here that is a longtime Christian, they also get worn down. You also get worn down because you compare yourself too. And you compare yourself to where you think you should be in your relationship with Jesus or where you wish you were in your relationship with God. Am I right? And, and you see the gap and that wears you down. You feel like, I'm, how come I can't be where I want to be? How come I can't be the person that God wants me to be? What, what's going on in my life? And you feel worn. I wish that I was holier than I am. I wish that I was more righteous than I am. I wish that I was wiser than I am. I wish that I followed through on more things than I really do. And I bet you can relate. Even the authors of the Bible knew this feeling of being worn. The apostle Paul confesses that in Romans chapter 7. Take a look. He says, I do not understand, it's right up here, what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do. And I do what I do not want to do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? That's the Apostle Paul. One of my heroes. One of your heroes. One of the greatest men of God. Lived not the way he wanted to. Does that describe your life a bit? Man, the things that I want to do, I don't know why I can't. Instead, I go back to the things I know I don't want to do. But listen, you're not alone. Paul was there. And our rooms this morning, the link and here in the main, are, are filled with people with the same struggle as you. Do you ever wonder why it's so hard to battle temptation? Do you ever wonder why it wears us down so much? There's a couple of reasons, and I'm sure there might be more, but here are a couple that I thought of. Maybe you can relate to some of these. I think temptation wears us down, first of all, because the battle for control of my life is, is not a one-time decision. Every day, I struggle to let Jesus be in control of my life. That's an everyday decision. It's not like I did that one time and now he's just in charge of everything that I, that I am. That's a daily decision that we have to make to every day let him be in charge of us. God, today, you're in charge of my words. God, today, you're in charge of my actions. God, today, you're in charge of my thoughts. And that wears you down to have to battle our will every day for who's in control of our lives. Another reason it wears us down, Galatians chapter 5 shows us that our old selves, our sin nature, battles with the spirit inside of us. Galatians 5 says there's a war going on between them because they want different things from our lives. And our sin nature, our old self, our flesh, Galatians 5, some translations use that word, is battling the spirit in us. And there's a war. And when that's going on inside of you, well, there's no way that you're not going to be worn out sometimes by that. Another reason I think that we get worn down by temptation or by sin is because not only are we fighting actual temptation, but a lot of times we're battling our own guilt and shame from our past. A lot of the times, the, the, the biggest fists that are coming our way are attached to our own arms. 
because we, we, we know that God is able to forgive us and that God's able to forget some things in our past, but we're just not able to. And we hold on to it and we continue to regularly beat ourselves up with stuff that's been forgiven and it's gone. But to us, it's not. I think temptation and sin wears us down because another reason is most sin that we struggle with often starts out as a good thing. And then it gets twisted and it turns into something wrong. Right? Whether, whether it's like exercising. You know, it starts out as a good thing. You want to be healthy. And then you kind of get to the point where you're like, am I doing this because I want, you know, to give God the best a temple that I can give him for his glory because I want to be there for my kids and that kind of thing? Or am I doing this because I want to look good? Because I want people to notice me. And we struggle with these feelings inside. Or, or the person that says, man, you know, I'm, I'm feeling kind of down. Maybe, you know, maybe I'll, I'll go out and you know, do some shopping, get out of the house. But then it turns into something where I need to buy something and I need to, to go get something to make me feel happy or feel whole. And it, Something that started sort of innocently enough can turn into something that is a real struggle for us. And so I think that wears us down because we're regularly, sort of at least I am, kind of saying, is this right? Is this wrong? What are my motives? And I'm kind of weighing this and just weighs me down. It wears me out. I think it makes us feel worn. And and, and last reason I'm going to give this morning, like I said, I'm sure there are others, but the temptation makes us feel so worn is because temptation is around every single corner. It's around everywhere. For the person that struggles to to say no to alcohol, it seems like every party they go to, there's alcohol there. For the person that that struggles to, to, to not lust with their eyes, it seems like they have to keep their head down everywhere they drive and every TV show they watch and, and even at work, people that they work with throw out temptation their way. For the person who's fighting the spirit of gossip, it's, it's everywhere. There's websites, there's TV shows that are devoted to gossip. Social media sites and even our own friends on social media. So much information. It's hard to fight it. It's there all the time, the temptation. And so I think that wears us down as well. There will come a day when we won't struggle with temptation and our sin nature will totally be eradicated from our lives. That's the good news. But that day is not yet. We are in a broken world. Here's the good news. We don't have to give in to temptation. Through Christ's strength, you and I can see growth in our life. The word sanctification is a church word. It's a theological word that means the process of becoming holy. And that is what God is doing in our lives. It's a process though. It's not all at once. It doesn't happen like that. It's a process in our lives where God is making us to be like his son, Jesus. But the road out of sin is not an express lane. It has dirt road detours, potholes, traffic jams, right? The road out of sin is not a straight line. It's a little up and a little down, a little up and a little down. But eventually, this process, Christ will make us like himself. But while we are here, we are worn. But here's the good news. Jesus has already won. So we follow him. 
One of the greatest arguments of those outside the church they'll make against Christians is that we're hypocrites. That, that we say that we're somebody, but then we're really not. That we hold people up to this high standard that we can't live up to. And, and what I, I hope no one ever says that about me or any of us here at Grace. Because we're not trying to pretend that we have it all together. There's, there's not pretending here. Up front, we'll admit that we're not perfect. And when we do hold up righteousness as the standard because it's God's word and it must be held up, we try to do it with compassion and grace because we know that we struggle too. Today is one of those days when we take an honest look at our lives and we're just real. And we offer real hope for those who want to be different. If you're like me, maybe you come in here and you're feeling worn out with yourself but you're desiring real change. That could be someone who's brand new or that could be someone who's been following Christ for a while. Jesus offers real hope. You may be worn, but Jesus has already won. So take out your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter four. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture in all of the Bible. Hebrews chapter four. I'm gonna look at verses 14 to 16. If you're a new Christian, The book of Hebrews is in the back of the New Testament. It's not just a a catchy phrase for a Christian coffee, Hebrews. It's an actual book back there in the Bible, verse 14. If you need a Bible, we have some ushers that are going to bring you one. They'd love to put one in your hands because we want you to read it along with us together. In a moment, let's stand up and we're going to read verses 14 15 and 16 together of Hebrews chapter 4. This is a book that was written in the first century, 2,000 years ago. And it was written to Jewish Christians who were Hebrews. That's why it's called that. We'll read verses 14 to 16 together. Here we go. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Thank you so much. You can have a seat. Sorry, I know my voice is giving out a little bit today. I've been fighting this cold all week. But I have been treating it with some herbal teas and speedy freezes and milkshakes and I'm taking good control and we're going to be just fine. Not only do you and I struggle with sin, not only does the Apostle Paul, like we read about in Romans, but even Jesus himself in his humanity struggled with sin temptation. Did you just read that? Isn't that what we just read? That he was tempted in every way, just like us. And so he is able to empathize. That means he is able to see things from your perspective. Jesus is able to see things the way that you do and understand the battle with temptation. He can do that. Christ had overcome the same temptations that you and I face every day. Those meals and events that he would go to, he had to fight 
eating everything there that was in front of him that he wanted to eat. He had to learn to show moderation. He had to battle temptation with his eyes to not lustfully look at the women that were his friends that were around him serving and ministering as a part of his group. He was tempted just like you and I were. He, had, he was tempted to not gossip. You talk about someone who knew everything about everyone. And somehow he was able to not sin. I got to believe in his mind he was tempted when Judas would sort of say something smart. That he would sort of say, yeah, right, man, we know where you're going. Right? Just a little early. Because he knew where Judas was going to go and where he was going to be. And, but he, he fought that off. He struggled, though. In my, in my mind, I believe, he wrestled with that kind of temptation. He wrestled with not trying to shortcut his father's ultimate plan. He even reveals that in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he says to God the Father, if it's your will, would you take this away from me? You and I often want to shortcut God's plan for our lives. Jesus understood that temptation, but he overcame it, and he did not sin, Hebrews 4 says. He overcame, and so we can overcome. We may be warned, but Jesus has already won. Jesus faced temptation all through his life, not just once or twice, but all through his life. But it's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 4. Would you turn there? Keep your finger in Hebrews 4. We're going to come back. But the very first book in the New Testament is the book of Matthew, the gospel of Jesus. Remember the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, are about the life of Jesus when he was here on earth. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 4, because here it's recorded where Jesus specifically is tempted by Satan, okay? Matthew chapter 4 is interesting, verse 1. It says, Jesus was then led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Remember, the devil is a very real being, not made up, very real, and very, very at fact, in, at work, in our lives to mess us up. He was doing that to Jesus here. In the, in the, uh, in the, uh, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's important to note. He hadn't eaten anything for 40 days. He was spending that time praying, getting ready for ministry, focusing on his relationship with, with his father, and he hadn't eaten a thing. The reason that's important is because look at what verse 3 says. So the tempter, that's Satan, that's the devil, came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become what? Bread. And why is that important? Because he knew that Jesus was hungry. See, when the tempter comes to us, when the Satan comes to us, he knows where we are weak. Okay? The Bible describes him as someone who watches us, who is very clever. He watches our lives. He knows where we're tempted. He knows where we might be weak. And in those moments, that's when he's going to come after us. That's when he came after Jesus in his weakest moment when he knew he would be starving. He says, if you're the son of God, just make those, those stones into bread. Because he knew he could do it. That's when he comes after us. One of the things that you and I have to get over is this idea that we are perfect. That we have to look perfect to the rest of the, of the people in our lives. Listen, you're not and I'm not. And so if, if I'm not perfect, if you're not perfect, doesn't that mean that I have areas where I'm weak? Does that mean that you have areas where you're weak? Yes, it does. 
And in those weak areas, what you and I have to do in our lives where we know we're going to be tempted, we have to put something in place that we're going to call guardrails to protect us. Guardrails don't stop accidents from happening. Guardrails stop accidents from going over the side of the cliff where their lives are destroyed. And that's what's going to happen in our lives. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to fall. You're going to fall. But when we put guardrails in our lives, it protects us from totally destroying our lives. Guardrails look like, like accountability partners. People that we know are going to ask us questions. When I meet with my accountability partner on Friday, I think about that during the week. I think he's going to ask me if I'm going to do this. So I don't, I don't want to admit to him that I did this, so I'm not going to do it. That's a guardrail that I put in my life that I know where I'm going to be weak. I, I remember meeting with a guy one time, a friend who was telling me that uh, God had moved in his life and he felt like he needed to overcome some snuff that it was in his life. He, he had to give up chew. And uh, he said, here's my routine. Every day I go to work, I drive to work, and uh, I stop at the same uh, gas station. That's where I buy it, then I head on to work. And he said, what I realized was every day I was driving by that same gas station trying to say no, and it was like it was calling out to me that I needed to go in there and buy that chew. And he said, you know what I did? I started driving to work a different road. He, he put a guardrail in his life so he wouldn't fight that temptation every single day. I mean, you and I are going to fall when we have to fight temptation all the time. So we got to put those guardrails in our lives to protect ourselves. I'll give you another example, a personal one from my life. About six, seven years ago, I was at a conference down in Dallas, Texas. And I was meeting some friends. There's some other colleagues from around the country. We were going to this leadership conference that was there happening. And I flew in a day early uh, because there was a pre-session conference that I wanted to go to. I wanted to hear a particular speaker that wasn't going to be at the regular conference, but he was there a day early. And honestly, I wanted to go see the Texas Rangers play. And, and I love baseball, and I hadn't been to that stadium, and it's a beautiful stadium. And so I, I went there, and I'll never forget what happens. I get to the airport, get my car, I get to the hotel, and this is what happens. I get into the lobby, I get into the uh, elevator, and as the door is closing, I'm alone in the elevator. As the door is closing, here goes the door across. I, it's like I see in my mind, here's this message across the back of the door. It says, you are alone. Nobody knows you in this town. It didn't actually say that there, but that's what was in my mind. That was the enemy. It was one of those moments where I felt like he was there right with me. Nobody knows you in this town. You could do anything that you wanted to. Wow. And, and I was like, I don't think I was, I don't think I was not walking with the Spirit that day. I don't, I, I think that I had had regular God time, I was in a good place. That came out of nowhere, a temptation. And I tell you, it's starting to think about things. And I'm sitting there in my room and uh, I have a couple hours till the game that night that I'm going to. And, 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 and all of a sudden I'm being tempted to look at pornography on my laptop. And I'm, so I call up my accountability partner and say, look, man, here's what just happened. Here's what, here's, here's what happened when I get into this elevator. And here's what happened. Here's what I'm thinking about, bro. You got to pray for me. You got to help me. And of course, I reach out. That accountability partner was a guardrail in my life. And, and just by calling him, that took away, you know, that temptation. But here's what he says you're going to do, man. Just so you don't fall again if you get tempted again later. I want you to take your laptop. I want you to put it in the trunk of your car. And then I want you to drive your car to the next hotel. And then I want you to walk back to yours. And that's what I did. He said, if you're going to fall to temptations tonight, you're going to have to work for it. 
He was putting a guardrail in my life. Listen, guys, if you and I want to overcome sin, we got to put some serious guardrails in our lives. I'd be crazy to think that I wasn't going to maybe feel that same temptation again later that night. You're crazy if you think that you're not going to be tempted to sin. And so you don't put any accountability measures, any guardrails in your lives to protect you from sin. And that's why you're so worn down. That's why I get so worn down because every day I'm battling because this temptation is right in front of me. I've not removed it. I've not pushed it away. I've not put a barrier, a guardrail between me and it. Do you see that? So Jesus quotes scripture to Satan. I love this. He says in verse 4, because Satan comes at him where he's weakest. He's going to come at you and me where we're weakest. Verse 4, he says, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He, He quotes scripture. The word of God is so critical to us overcoming sin. Being regular in our time with God is so critical to living a life in the spirit. And, and Jesus had this as a part of his regular life. And I love this. Just really a, quickly, a quick side note. Jesus here is quoting from Deuteronomy. And what's cool about that is if you remember the story in Deuteronomy, God had led his people Israel out of Egypt, right? And into the wilderness, into the desert for 40 years. And that sounds a lot familiar like Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus is led into the wilderness for 40 days. And the point that Jesus is going to make is, you see, Satan, where you tricked Israel to not trust God, you're not going to trick me. See, where, where Israel failed, where people fail, Jesus does not. Jesus does not fail. He, he's not completely like us. He holds up for what's true. And so he says, Here's this scripture. The scripture had been a guardrail in Jesus' life since he was a young person. Luke shows us that from his story, that that he was in the temple even as a 12-year-old, and he knew the scriptures. It was a part of his guardrail for his life. And so here's what I want you guys to take some time to do this afternoon. I want you guys to think about these questions. What does Satan know about you? Where are your weaknesses? Here's the question I really want you to answer. What are the top three things that keep tripping you up? Write those down. What are are the top three things that are tripping you up? I want you to take some time and write some of those things down this afternoon or this week. And then I want you to write and think through, what are some new guardrails that you can put in your life to not let that happen anymore? What are some new guardrails that you can put in your life to protect you from falling again? and again, and again. Satan says, if you are the son of God, every time he comes to one of these temptations here in Matthew 4, if you are the son of God, right? See that in verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God. Uh, In verse 6, he says, if you are the son of God. One of the things that Satan tries to do when he tempts us is he tries to Get at our identity in Christ, in God. Did Satan have a question of who Jesus was? Was he like asking, like, are you the God, the Son? Jesus knew, or I'm sorry, Satan knew who he was. He didn't have a question in his mind. He was trying to put a doubt in Jesus's mind. And that's what Satan does. He tries to put doubts in your mind about your standing with God. 
When he comes to tempt you, he tries to put a doubt in your mind. He says things like this. You're probably not, you're not a really good Christian. I, I bet the other Christians at Grace uh, don't struggle with the same things that you do. You know, if they really knew all this stuff about you, I, I bet they wouldn't even let you come to their church. Doesn't he say things like that to you or is it just me? You know, that's the kind of stuff he does. If you are the son of God, he says to Satan. Or, I'm sorry, he says to Jesus. He's throwing doubts at him. That's what he does. And Jesus, again, quotes from uh, Deuteronomy, which I love. He gets that scripture. Because what Jesus, or what Satan is trying to do is kind of get at our trust in God. He, he wants us to look for other sources of meeting our needs. And so really, his root question is this. Will God really take care of you? I mean, he's brought you out here in the desert. He's got you hungry. You know, his next temptation, you know, jump off this temple and see if he's really going to come and rescue you. He's saying, is God really going to take care of you? Does he really have your best interests at heart, Jesus? And even in his last temptation, he takes him to the mountain, to the highest mountaintop. And it says that he shows him all the kingdoms of the world, verse 8, and all their splendor. And he says, I will give this all to you if you will bow down and worship me. He, he says, Jesus, look at all the great things about all these kingdoms. Look at, here's the great things about this kingdom. Here's the great things about this kingdom. And here's the great things about this over here. I'll give it all to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. See, Satan knew the end. He knew what was coming. He knew that Jesus would be the king of all. But he was saying, here's a shortcut right now. You can have it right now, Jesus. And isn't that what he comes and he does to us too when he tempts us? Here's a shortcut. You know, God doesn't have your best interest at heart. God's making you wait way too long. You can have it right now. And that's a temptation that we face. That's a temptation that Jesus faced. And Jesus fights off that temptation. He doesn't take the shortcut. And God sends his angels to minister to him. Verse 11 says, the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. This same story is recorded also in Luke chapter four. And after Luke four, it gives one more detail that Matthew doesn't. It doesn't uh, uh, disagree, it just gives an extra detail. But here it says the devil left him. Uh, Luke four says the devil left him until another opportunity. Until another opportunity to come and tempt him. In other words, Jesus wasn't done being tempted. You and I, we face temptation on a daily basis. So did Jesus. It wasn't like this was his one time and he won and now he was done. He was going to continue to face temptation and he was going to continue to beat it. You and I will continue to face temptation. And so when it says in Hebrews chapter 4 that Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are, yet was without sin— it really means he was tempted in all ways like you and I are. Think about it this way. Jesus was tempted in an area of physical desire. He was tempted in his trust relationship with God. And he was tempted in his desire for respect, for power, to be awed or to be noticed. And what temptations do you and I face that don't fit into one of those three categories? Fulfilling some kind of physical desire that's in us. To, to fulfill our desire to be respected, to be noticed, to have power. Or to doubt God. Jesus faced every temptation just like you and I. But he overcame. 
So as you take some time this week and you're going to write down some guardrails to keep you from falling to temptation, what those do, that doesn't get at the heart of why we're tempted. All that does is protects us from falling off, right? That's what that does. That's important because it's not a, a quick thing that we just all of a sudden stop sinning one day. All right, so you put those guardrails in place. But then I want you to go a little deeper. And I want you to begin to think and ask the question, what are the specific roots of the temptations you face? What are the specific roots? Why is it that you keep getting tempted in those areas where you're tempted? Why is it that you continue to struggle with sin? What are the roots? I want you to get down to that because that is where the life change really happens. The guardrails simply change, on the, change things on the outside, changes behavior, but it doesn't change our hearts. And so you need to ask yourself, what is it that keeps drawing you back? What is it that keeps drawing? You know where that sin ends. You know what, what will happen at the end. You'll know how guilty you'll feel. You'll, you know how, how you know, uh, uh, the, the, the consequences that will come, but yet you're still drawn to it. And you need to get out, what is it? What are the root causes that continue to draw you in? That's how you get lasting freedom from sin. That takes some real intentional effort. That takes some time to really get at it and some work and some prayer, but God can reveal it to you. It probably won't happen in one sitting. It takes time. It will probably take the help of another person, a trusted and mature believer who can ask you questions, who, can, who you can be honest with, who can really help you dig in. Maybe even a, a Christian counselor or a pastor, but a very well-grounded friend for sure. See, even though you're warned, Jesus has already won. Just follow him. Don't use excuses to stay stuck where you're at. Don't use excuses to stay stuck or warn anymore because too much is at stake. God has too big a plans to use you in your life. He doesn't want you to be stuck where you are right now. Look at Hebrews chapter four one more time with me. Let's read it. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, that means he's already gone before us. He beat this life here on earth. He's already gone to heaven. That's what that means. He's gone to heaven. Let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Profess. Let's not have a weary grip. Let's have a strong, firm grip on the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, God has a plan to help you. I love that it says what it says here in these passages because we have so many excuses that we can use for why we get worn down by temptation, for why we just sort of stay stuck where we're at. We often say something like this, it's just too hard to say no. It's just too hard to say no. We say, God, you don't get it. It's too hard for me to say no. And Jesus says, no, I do get it. I do get it. I struggled just like you did. I was tempted just like you were in every way. What's, often mo what's oftentimes the real root issue in a lot of the temptations we face is this question, can I trust God? If I do things God's way, will it really work out for me the way that I want it to? 
or do I better, isn't I better to do things my way? And the question that you're really asking is, do you really trust God? Do you really trust God's plan for your life? Do you really trust God's way of doing things? And Jesus is saying, yeah, I, my father was good. He came through on his promise to me. I, I, I succeeded in overcoming temptation and you can too. And so he takes away that excuse. Another excuse that we use is we'll say, it's just who I am. That's just who I am. You don't understand. That's who my family was. That's who I am. I'm too, it's too late for me to change. I, I'm too far into the sin. I'm too deep. I can't get out. And Jesus says, no, that's not an excuse. That's not an excuse because that's not who you are. You are not a liar. You are not an adulterer. You are not a luster. You are not a gossip. That's who you were, but that's not who you are. You are now a son of God. You are now a daughter of the king. That's who you are. And you know what he offers to us? Take a look at chapter uh, 4 and verse 16. It tells us we're supposed to come with confidence. Not lowly like, Jesus, will you forgive me again? But with confidence we can come to him. To his throne of grace. And then it says this. So that we may receive what? Mercy. And do you know what mercy is? Mercy is when God doesn't give us what we deserve. He doesn't give us the penalty of what we deserve. He gives us mercy. And so the truth for a person who is a follower of Jesus is that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're the one who says, this is just who I am, I can't change. Listen, you got to read Romans chapter 8. You got to read it over and over again because it says that's not who you are. You, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is who you used to be, but that is not who you are anymore. There is no condemnation for you. Here's the other excuse we try to use that Jesus says, no, nah, you can't use it. It's not good. We'll say it's impossible to measure up. I can never do it, so I'm not even trying. I, I can never measure up, so I'm not even trying. Why even try? I could never do it. But you know what? God is so loving. He loves us so much. Do you know what he offers besides mercy? Take a look back at Hebrews 4 and verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find what? Grace. When do we need grace? To help us in our time of need. We don't need grace when we got it together. We don't need grace when our lives are on top. We need grace when we're in our time of need. And do you know what grace is? Grace is the opposite of mercy. Mercy is we, is we don't get the punishment that we do deserve. Grace is that we do get the gift that we don't deserve. We get stuff that we don't deserve from God. We, we get the relationship with him, the salvation with him. And so when we try to say, I can never measure up, why even try? God says, you know what? I already knew that. I knew you couldn't measure up. And that's why I offered you grace over and over and over again. Guess what? That's not news to God that you don't measure up. That's not why he made you a son or his daughter because he knew you'd be the best Christian. And he offers to you grace and he offers to you mercy. And he says, here's more grace for you. 
We're going to sing a song. Our band's going to come on stage right now. We're not done yet. I'm going to come back in a moment. But this is the moment where we need to just offer ourselves and say, Jesus, we need your mercy. We need your grace. And you know that's what he wants to offer to you today. He wants to offer to you. The key is that you just don't quit. You don't give in and say, this is who I am. I can't go any further. But you don't quit. Jesus has what you need. It's his grace and mercy. Hebrews 4, let me read it for you one more time. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help us in our time of need. I love that picture of Jesus. He's not one who is sitting there accusing us of who we are and how we should be measuring up better than we are. It is the picture of one who has gone before and has set the tone and now is cheering us on to do it as well. He offers to you grace and mercy. He's saying, you can do this. You can do it. He wants you to finish. We had this great uh, event here at Grace last month called The Amazing Race. And a lot of you guys were a part of it. And it was a 5K that was here. And honestly, my goal that day was simply not to trip in front of everybody. But you know what my favorite part of the day was? We had some guys and gals that ran around that course and flew. They were awesome. And you know when they got done what they did? They went, they got a, a, a drink, they got a snack. And then they came back and they stood at the, at the finish line and they would cheer on the people that were coming behind them. And then the next people that would finish, they would do the same thing. And then they would do the same thing until that group at the finish line was huge. And they were cheering everybody on saying, come on, you can finish, you got this. And do you know why they were able to do it? Because they had finished it, they had done it. And that's the picture of Jesus. He's saying, I've done it. I've completed the course. My God was good to me. He'll be good to you. You can overcome temptation. He's there for us to say, here's grace. I know you don't measure up. That's okay. Just don't quit. Just don't lay down and say, this is who I am. I can't change. No, you can change. I can help you. You got this. You can finish. I love that picture of Jesus. Isn't that the kind of church? Isn't that the kind of place that you want to be a part of? A place that, that's led by someone like that. And you know that we are. Jesus is our head. And he leads us that way. And we are a church that tries to live that out. That wants to encourage you and lift you up. And say, we're not perfect, but here's grace. Here's mercy to help in time of need. If you want to continue to talk to somebody. If you want to get, get some help. We have pastors. We have counselors. We have elders that are available right here after the service. You want to talk right now. They'll be here Greenlanders, that's what they're there for. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, we, we don't want to stay down. We don't want to just be worn out by, by sin. God, we look forward to that day when, when we will finally be like you. God, that's amazing for me to even think about. That I'm going to be like Jesus? I'm not going to wrestle with sin anymore. Then I'm not going to be like the old John. 
amazing. God, I so look forward to that day when you'll do that in all of us. God, when that process that we're in right now will be complete. But until then, Lord, we're asking for your grace and we're asking for your mercy that you would help us in our time of desperate need or that we would rise above the temptation and the sin that's in our world, that you would make us into the image and into the likeness of your son. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.